Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. On today's episode, we're joined by Vanessa Matsis-McCready, Associate General Counsel and Vice President of HR Services for Engage PEO, a professional employer organization providing HR solutions to small and mid-sized businesses. Vanessa is an employment attorney and HR expert who brings over 15 years of experience helping employers solve workplace issues. She joined the team at Engage PEO in 2014 as an Assistant General Counsel and HR Consultant. And a decade later, Vanessa now directs the Engage HR Consultant team, advising on a wide range of HR and workplace compliance matters and working closely with clients across various industries to help them navigate employment law issues. Look, we're dropping this latest HR Works podcast episode during the week of Valentine's Day. With love in the air, we thought what better time than now to tackle the ever-present and constantly evolving challenge of workplace romance. I thought a recent SHRM article put it best by saying, for HR specialists and practitioners, navigating workplace romance is among their toughest assignments. While romance in the workplace isn't unusual and is far from a new trend, what we see evolve are the factors playing into modern day office relationships, and more importantly, the policies that HR teams can put in place to better protect their organizations and all its team members, ensuring a safe and productive employment experience. So we thought, what better person to join us for a conversation about compliance and policies than Vanessa? So let's get Vanessa introduced and welcome to the HR Work Podcast. Vanessa, thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. Well, it's great to have you on. I'm excited to get you introduced to our audience, the HR Works audience. So let's start there. And as I ask all of our first-time guests on the HR Works Podcast, why HR? What was that initial spark that led you to building a career in human resources and people operations? The spark caught me really young. I knew at the age of 18 that this is what I wanted to do. I was very lucky that I attended the School of Industrial Labor Relations at Cornell University, and I really learned there how much the impact of HR can affect an organization and having an impactful employment law and HR team can really help an organization grow and have the culture that they want so that they can actually thrive. So that's how I got into this over 15 years ago. Fantastic. And as I mentioned at the top, joined the team at Engage PEO in 2014 and are now currently the Associate General Counsel and Vice President of Human Resources Services for Engage. So tell us a bit about your work, the work you're currently doing with Engage PEO and the team you currently oversee within the HR space. What are your team's main responsibilities? Are there any areas that you're specifically focused on? Absolutely. So we're a PEO, so we work really closely with small and medium-sized businesses across the country. There's HR and benefits outsourcing. And the team that I lead is absolutely spectacular. Every single HR consultant on the team is also a licensed employment lawyer. And they're experts in their field, as well as in many of the states that they operate in. So we work really closely with small and medium-sized businesses to help them manage their people operations and deal with the very complicated patchwork of HR laws around the country that's ever-changing, especially in this really strong multi-state remote environment post the pandemic. So we partner with our clients to make sure that they're getting the best practice guidance the first time so that they can focus on growing their organization. Sounds like you've got a very flexible, nimble team who, again, have to be really buttoned up and adept in working with teams across the entire U.S. with so many different and varying compliance issues and regulations that vary state to state in this new world that we're in. 
Yeah, absolutely. And they really provide business-minded guidance because, you know, I, I always say it and I, I wish it wasn't entirely true, but I don't think any businesses can follow every single HR rule perfectly and actually run a business. So we really draw upon that experience from our practice to be able to help our clients make those best decisions for their organizations, whether it's an investigation or trainings or wage and hour compliance. That's great. And we're always looking at the latest trends and analyzing what matters to HR professionals in the modern workforce. Are there any trends that your team is specifically focused on right now and paying attention to in early 2024? So we are monitoring the gamut. It actually kind of depends on where you are in the country, what the most important trends are. So certainly we're seeing paid family leave changing and sick time changing around the country and making sure that our clients understand that their local obligations are going to be just as important as their state and federal. We have been trying to help clients navigate this remote and hybrid workforce for a long time, especially as you're dealing with more and more companies coming back to return to work in office full time. So when you're, when you're dealing with that, there's a lot that goes along with it, whether it's ADA accommodations or making sure you have a flexible environment. But certainly employee engagement runs through all of that, whether it's the paid sick time or creating a flexible workforce that your employees want to be part of. Yeah, there's no shortage of trends and topics to cover in that space. And it's very exciting to have your team working on that. Now, speaking of navigating policies within employee engagement, Workplace romance is a great one to look at. Workplace relationships. And again, what better time to talk about it than as leading up to Valentine's Day here? As I said at the top, it's not something new that we've seen, but it's constantly evolving. And the understanding as we're looking at employee engagement and the employee experience of defining that and creating that safe and productive employee experience. Let's start at the broad view. How has our perception of workplace relationships evolved over the years? So I think in a lot of ways, it hasn't changed. And at the same time, it's changed substantially, right? So workplace romances and office relationships have been there since the beginning of time. And, you know, it's a very, very popular storyline along all pop culture, whether it's novels or TV shows or movies. Sure. So that part has really continued. But I think there's a couple of different areas that it's evolved. So for one, especially post-pandemic, I'm seeing a trend that employees are looking to find significant meaning in their work. And so they tend to be more passionate about the work they do. So their personal and professional lives end up intertwining quite a bit. Secondly, you know, we're spending more and more of our adult waking hours in the workplace than ever before, whether it's remote or in person. And that does mean that individuals are spending a lot more time together. Right. Um, so that certainly is, is continuing. And then, of course, I would say just the fact that people are much more open and they share much more about themselves and their personal life now than they ever did. And I don't just mean the fact that you might see somebody's home like you're seeing mine on video when you're in a video conference, but just even on socials. And so there is a lot more information sharing than we have had in the past, which I think leads to more acceptance of office workplace romances. Yeah, we advocate for transparency and bring your full self to work. And with that, it's sharing that other part of your life. We talk so often on the HR Work podcast about it being work-life blend. And that's really been, been a shift that we've seen over time of just incorporating more of your full life into that. And that includes your, your relationships. It's, it's a great way to put it, that it has evolved, but at the same time, it's always been the same. With that, are there any common challenges 
that HR teams run into? What are those common challenges that pop up with office romance? The challenges are endless. So you have the, the social impact and the organizational culture impact where when you have two people in a relationship, it could get a little bit awkward for people who are not in that relationship. It can get complicated for people within the workplace if there's certain assignments that maybe one of the partners doesn't want to work on. It really can make things awkward for individuals maybe who report to one person in that relationship and are having an employee issue with the other person in the relationship. Um, And then certainly just from a legal perspective, even if the relationship does start off as a consensual relationship, it could evolve and not be consensual anymore. Now, I happen to have two different sets of friends that met at work and are happily married, you know, almost 10 years later, but that's not always going to be the outcome. And when there's a breakup, things can get dicey because people could badmouth each other to their friends and it could become harassment or bullying or one person may not be ready to let that relationship go. And again, it could evolve into harassment or retaliation. So it's really a very dicey area to be in. And I think HR trying to manage the emotions related to that, as well as the legal ramifications and the organizational ramifications. It's just a, it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, that's so well said. Now, looking at the employee side, not necessarily the employer, how do employees typically receive workplace romance policies? Have they been well received in the past? And if not, where have those policies fallen short in being really effective and respected by employees? So I, I'm not sure that they're received. Um, I think most right. companies put it in their handbook. And if you're lucky, 1% of your population reads the handbook. So there's usually a, a fraternization policy that will apply in this situation. But I, I think most people don't actually look at it unless they are in a very strong relationship and are planning to talk to HR about it. And I think there's a really easy way to get over that as an HR professional. And, you know, in most states at this point, and certainly best practice, there's HR sexual harassment prevention training every year. And we really need to make sure our managers are hearing what the best practices are and what they need to do and make sure and what to observe so that it can be brought to HR in a timely fashion. I think that when you deal with the policy itself, you know, reissuing it from time to time or revisiting it during these trainings, And honestly, it shouldn't only be the harassment prevention training. I think it's in every managerial training. You know, what are your responsibilities as a manager? It's really important. Most companies, I would say, have clear rules for managers as to whether or not they should be involved with subordinates and will protect themselves to say, we can transfer this individual or either party if necessary. But I think a big challenge is that Dating and office relationships themselves have changed drastically. So, you know, not even getting into social media yet, a person may not be comfortable disclosing that they're in a situationship or it's a complicated status, right? I mean, maybe they're more comfortable disclosing a very solid long-term relationship. So I think there's a lot of relationships that get missed and don't get addressed. And frankly, they're probably more likely to cause the tensions in the workplace than people who are in a a well-defined relationship, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And then certainly on socials, you know, we're using socials for work. We're using socials for our own personal branding, whether it's LinkedIn, if it's professional. And then, of course, people sometimes friend each other on or whatever the correct term is these days on other socials. 
and they'll follow each other on Insta and things like that. So there's a real concern there related to what's being shared and how people are interacting with each other, because certainly I've seen cases where someone keeps sending friend requests to somebody they're interested in at work or sees them on Hinge and swipes right and the other person's trying to swipe left. So... Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned social media here, Vanessa. Let's talk about the social game here and how that's really changed how we handle workplace relationships and how it's impacted workplace relationships. What have you seen? I mean, you touched on it there, but that throws a new wrench into the mix when we're looking at building policies that work and building a good, solid policy for your workplace when it comes to office romance. Right. So now that people are on socials all the time, whereas, you know, even two to three decades ago in the 90s, you only saw your coworkers at work unless there was a planned function, especially in large cities like New York City and San Francisco and stuff. So there wasn't the ability to interact much without asking somebody for their phone number or whatever it may be, and you'd interact at work. Right. Now you've got socials and people can DM you or start following you on all these different platforms. And they might even know where you are, depending on what you're posting. So you might have a coworker show up at an event you're at or things like that. And so that, I think, really changes the dynamic of how often and how much of a person's personal life you're involved sure. in. And I think that part of it, too, is people are sharing so much about what they're passionate about on LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn, a lot of people are more likely to have a headshot and things like that. So I know from some of the studies you had shared with me before the podcast that there's quite a bit of people trying to connect on LinkedIn for unprofessional purposes. <laughs> so that really does, I think, change the dynamic. Whereas years ago, you might go to a networking event and you're in the mindset of I'm, I'm representing my company, I'm representing my profession. Right. You know, on LinkedIn, I think most people try to do that still. But you still have other socials where you might be a little bit more letting your hair down or whatever it may be. Yeah, the, the lines were a little more clearly defined previously. You look at something like LinkedIn that is crucial for any business and operations at this point. That, again, you're opening yourself up to those just new factors that come into the mix that could lead into workplace romance and workplace relationships. And with that, if you're going to create policies around that, you've got to now factor that in. Yep. So I really think that the best practice for organizations that are very heavily involved in promoting themselves on LinkedIn or any social is to have two media accounts and two policies. So, you know, you have the one social media policy that relates to what's appropriate to share on your personals, right? What is appropriate to share? Can you, how do you protect your trade secrets and things like that? And these are really complicated policies because especially with all of the activity at the National Labor Relations Board, you know, you really can't curtail much of what an employee says about your organization, especially if it relates to working conditions or pay. But you can protect your confidential data and you can protect your trade secrets and you can tell your employees that they can't speak on your behalf as part of their social. Right. Um, on the other hand, you have employees that you need to share information for social media. And I think that's especially true on LinkedIn. So what I've really started to recommend to businesses everywhere is have two accounts. You know, let the person have their own personal account because there are states out there that will say you're not allowed to make them disclose your password and you're not allowed to make them give you their account access after you're an employee or anything like that. But at the same time, you need these, especially people who work in social media or PR, to be able to grow your brand. So have a company account that that person manages 
that has a password that is shared amongst the appropriate leadership. So you don't have to worry about losing all that content and you don't have to worry about watering down your brand with any of this person's personal opinions. And having that separation, I think, really helps businesses and allows you to have a very clear social media policy about what you're going to say about the brand. So, you know, who do you need to get postings approved from, you know, and all of that. You're not going to do that for somebody's personal socials, right. but you can do that for a company. I love that. That is some great guidance just for social media policy in general. I know the trend years ago that we were seeing as Twitter was really bubbling up was a lot of personal accounts would in their bio say, these views are solely mine and don't reflect those of my employer. But you're right, going to now the split account is a much smarter, safer way to go as more teams are using their social media handles to be a promotion vehicle, be a marketing vehicle. As somebody who is in the media space, social media, LinkedIn specifically, and Twitter X are, are vital to just many marketing efforts and just content sharing. That is a really smart piece of advice for any of our listeners out there in the HR space to take away as you're building a social media policy. Split those accounts. Absolutely. And you should still have the disclosures, especially in situations where you have an individual who works in social media right. or who works in, in, in public relations, indicating there that these views are their personal views. If it's any type of concern that there might be a conflation of whose view it is, it's always the best practice to just include that. It can never hurt. But I also think we're in a new world where people are building their own brands much more and especially, you know, much more junior in their careers right. building their own brands. So there's going to be a, a morale impact, just like the office relationship would have um, if, if companies are trying to say, well, you can't use your voice on your own socials. Yeah, really well said there, Vanessa. And let's bring it back to that office relationship piece. Now, we covered the social media component, which is vital to any policies that teams are building out now with regards to office relationships, workplace relationships. But can we provide some additional recommended policies or just practical approaches to building an office romance policy that, that can work? As you mentioned, sometimes they don't really ring true and resonate with the employees. How do we build something that's good, that works, that's functional? What would you recommend? I believe it starts at the top. So having that open door so that people can share any concerns they have throughout the organization with anybody that they're comfortable with, I think is step one. Love you want to have a very clear understanding that leadership also believes in this and that if somebody's uncomfortable, regardless of the relationships within the organization, that they can go to somebody and, and share that. So that's kind of step one. You know, and then there's certainly the, the policies that should be in every single handbook and they should be updated from time to time, especially based on your workforce, right? So if you're dealing with a hospitality company or a restaurant, there's a significantly more likely chance that people are socializing outside of work just based on the nature of those industries. And so it's incredibly important that companies are adapting those policies for their own industry and their own ethos, right? And then there's what you would call kind of like a an initial meeting with the HR person where you should always bring in, if there's two people in the relationship, you know, I recommend that HR brings in the more junior person or the subordinate first, because you get a chance to kind of discuss with them, look, we just want to make sure that everything here is okay. And that we're hearing that th there's some rumors or we know that there's a relationship and we just want to make sure that it is indeed consensual completely awkward conversation. I understand oh, that. But, but it is still better, I think, to have the conversation at that point 
because it allows you to start setting some ground rules, right? And, and starting with the person who is more junior does really help in assuring that it is consensual. I'm not a fan of bringing both people in together because then they might feel uncomfortable or compelled or hesitate to share more information. And also it does establish a relationship with the HR person that they are somebody that they can come to if something changes. Right. There's trust. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I do think that a big part of office relationships is having to trust that your team members will be professional. But when you have this kind of like initial meeting, you're able to explore whether or not a, I hate this term, a love contract is a good idea. And those are basically like office relationship agreements. And they might be a good idea in a lot of situations. And I have a few reasons as to why I love them. But you start to explore and set the guidelines during this initial conversation with the subordinate. Then when you meet with the other individual that's in the relationship, especially if they're a manager, you can go over all the guidelines of how they have to make sure there's not going to be any favoritism. You can actually set ground rules in this document about whether or not there can be public displays of affection at the water cooler or on Slack <laughs> or whatever, whatever you're using. Um, and especially when you're representing the company at trade events, right? How is this relationship going to work in the confines of our workplace and our brand as a corporation? And you don't need really any additional consideration for this. You know, the continued employment is generally sufficient. But one of the things that's super important is that you outline there what happens with the relationship in respect to the organization. So if you're in a reporting line, one of those two individuals needs to move. Okay. And the company needs to have the business discretion to decide what's best for the business there without it turning into a complaint of some sort. And I do think that HR needs to take a closer look to promotions and job assignments and things like that to make sure that everybody is being treated fairly and getting the same opportunities. Because there's a lot of different places where it can go wrong. And it's not always the actual relationship. Sometimes it's another person who has more experience or better qualifications, and they don't get the job because they're not getting that airtime. Certainly in this day and age, trade secrets and what you're allowed to discuss sure. in those lines that's a huge portion of these love contracts or, you know, these agreements, because you need to make sure that individuals who have access to sensitive information know what they can and cannot share during pillow talk. So, you know, I tend to think that they're not as popular as they used to be, but I, I do believe they're going to have a big comeback this year um, and in the future years. And I believe that because of AI, you always ran the risk in the past that somebody would come back and say it was not consensual even if you have this agreement. But now with the prevalence and access to creating deep fakes, when you're doing an investigation, as somebody who's been doing investigations for years, I want to be able to look back and have that agreement that says this was consensual because who knows what AI can create in a right. text message or, what, or WhatsApp conversation or even the pictures and the recordings of the voicemails that are supposedly inappropriate. So I think it's really important that everybody understands most of these relationships will break up. And in a truly professional and perfect world, everybody will just go on working hard in the business and trying to better the company. But that's not always the case. Yeah, we're, and, we're dealing with humans. We're dealing with people who are all unique in their own way. They're going to react differently each time. So there's, there's certain steps and policies that can certainly protect us in, in those scenarios. 
Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't want to get too dark here, sure. but let me start with the less dark part. You know, the impact on morale is really important if other individuals feel like they're not going to have access. I think you run the risk of turnover because people might leave if they feel like they don't feel comfortable having this relationship around them. And then there are times when those relationships get really uncomfortable, whether it's bullying or harassment or worse. And unfortunately, I have seen that happen in the workplace. So it's really important to have strong policies around it and making sure everybody knows the expectations and that your managers are trained so they know how to identify everything. I don't think you can be too careful here. I, I do think that sometimes less is better. Have the framework and then work with the couple more than trying to have a one-size-fits-all policy for the contracts anyway. Right. I love that you said that, Vanessa. These really seem tailored to each couple and there's really not a lot of room for maybe boilerplate language as there would be with other policies. It's, it's really got to be on a case-by-case basis. That's encouraging HR teams to really work with the employees in these scenarios and build out something that is best for the business, but also keeping, again, the, the employees in mind and creating what's going to be that best possible outcome along the way. Absolutely. The more boilerplate you try to include on one of these contracts, I think the, the more complicated it's going to get, it it's really does need to be tailored to the business, to the relationship, to the levels of the individuals involved. It, it's just super important that that's a discussion in addition to the guidelines. Right. You really are building out a contract. What I really like about this idea of love contracts, and we got to come up, as you said, with a better name for it. <laughs> we'll encourage all of our, our folks with a more creative mind who may be listening to come up with something better than love contract. But what we've got there is an opportunity to document, document, document. That was one of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten. I ask all of our guests, and I'll ask you at the close, pieces of advice you could share with our audience. Document, document, document was one of my favorites. <laughs> and it's so true. You're doing that with the love contract. Yes, there's no question. The documentation is really important. Having the policy that is actually followed in practice is even more important. I think that's where a lot of businesses get in trouble. They might have a policy and then they don't enforce it and things start to run rampant and then there's a problem. and it's hard for them to, to manage that situation. It's also part of why I really like the repeated trainings and touching on that on a regular basis. I still think that it's going to be difficult to get people in those early stages to disclose. So that's part of why I think it's important to have a strong pulse on it, because you may not always find out from the people in the situationship that something is happening. You might find out from other colleagues. It's just like as one of the employees involved, I think it's really important to remember everybody knows it doesn't matter how careful you think you are. Right. Everybody knows. And I, I think the advice I'd give to people who are considering getting into a relationship, regardless of which person they are, whether the subordinate or the manager or peers, is, you know, especially if you're in a niche area, if this doesn't work out when you're up for the career position of a lifetime in 10, 15 years, and then you find out that this other person's one of your co-executives, are you going to want to take the job? Right. And I, and, you know, I think that's really important. And I, I think an open organizational culture can really help people think about that. It's not necessarily a conversation the HR person's going to have, but certainly like mentors within the organization might have that. And I think the more knowledgeable your management team is, the more likely you have mentors that can help support those kinds of conversations. That's a smart approach. That's some great advice here for our audience too. Now, we talked about some unique smart policies that can be put in place to really help with this process, but obviously the communication piece is so crucial. As we said earlier, talking about how effective is it with employees? If you can't communicate it, it's really not going to work out as well as maybe the 
the best plan that you've drawn up on paper is. So do you have any suggestions for communicating workplace relationship policies to an employee base and really making it stick? I think it's part of orientation, honestly. Um, It's not something you're going to always hear about in orientation. And I think it also depends on what level of employees you're training, right? So, you know, some of this starts, you know, in the career center at college. But for the most part, I think it's really important that it comes up in those mentorship conversations that you have with your new hires. It has to be something that comes up at least annually in your harassment training. I think that when you have some of these wonderful social functions, and especially some of these companies, like their social life is fully intertwined. You know, they have a full campus. It's not a bad thing to make a statement about it. Sure. I don't want to say poke fun of it at all, but I would say like a lighthearted comment of, hey, I know it's the holiday party. You know, don't forget we've got, we do have rules around this or something along that, those lines. Just like a, so it's not a super serious or stuffy comment, but it is a a nod to the fact that it's still a business and we still have to make sure that we are following those policies. And honestly, I think that kind of reiteration, especially at social events, you know, you usually hear the reiteration of behave properly, don't drink too much, things like that. There's no reason not to include the don't forget, you know, you're still at work and we do have relationship policies here within the workplace. Yeah, it's about awareness. And just again, bringing that to the surface, like you said, I think if employees are aware that there are policies in place, it's going to change your thinking, at least certainly make you think a bit differently. So yeah, that's crucial. And thank you for that, Vanessa. So again, we're here with Vanessa Matsis McCready from Engage PEO. Now, Vanessa, as Vice President of HR Services for Engage PEO, looking very closely at trends, what we've seen in the HR community, what's been the best thing you've seen come out of the HR community in the past year? So dating back to 2023, what's the best thing you've seen? So thanks to the remote and hybrid environment, and also what some are terming the great resignation, there's been a real focus on organizational culture, which I mentioned is a big passion of mine. And I'm loving that companies are really interacting with their teams to understand what's driving them, to conduct, for lack of a better term, stay interviews, and to focus on retention and growing their own talent within the organization. There's been a strong shift to upskilling, especially in light of some of the tech changes that we're seeing, right? So AI replacing certain positions and things like that. And just professional development and and having your talent grow from within your organization to make sure that you're retaining those wonderful contributors and and your top talent. I love that. Yeah, we actually just released an episode recently about re-recruiting your workforce. And it touched on that exact idea of putting your resources into your existing talent. The idea of stay interviews, I love that. Um, yeah, even the stats that we recently saw as we were looking at the, the Monster Workwatch report from 2024 cited that 57% of employers are focusing their recruiting efforts on their current talent, not necessarily talent mm-hmm. in the marketplace. And I think that's a, a great sign of just where teams are going and, and looking again at the talent you currently have and how do you make that work for you? Yeah, it's certainly a great one to see. I'm glad you really enjoyed that out of the community as well here, Vanessa. Do you have anything you're excited about for 2024? Anything you're looking forward to maybe as an emerging trend? Yeah. So I think that in 2024, you're still going to be dealing with quite a bit of local and state legislation. And because of so much activity at these different levels, it's really difficult for companies to navigate. And if they don't have an HR expert that they can work with, they are going to get stuck because as their teams are more and more remote or might work from another state for a month, things like that, 
they're going to continue to run into situations where the rules that they have in their headquarters don't apply at the local or the state level. Obviously, I, I think there's going to be quite a bit, and, I, and I'm glad that we're all looking at social media, not just for office relationships and love contracts, but also for political speech in the workplace, because there's a lot of protected activity and privacy laws around the country, whether it relates to political speech or off-duty conduct for relationships, which there was a case out of the Ninth Circuit a couple of years back. So I think that making sure those social media policies are strong, that everybody understands what professional communication within the workplace looks like is just going to be huge. And I, I think that regardless of whether or not you're trying to have people return to the workforce in person, full-time or part-time, engaging people in a remote way, in a hybrid way, and making sure you're compliant everywhere that your employees are is going to just continue to be the primary focus. Yeah, that's great. Right. We're coming up on an election year here, and, and we certainly know what that means with employee relationships and, and engagement there. So it's smart to get out in front of that. Think about your policies. Really have that buttoned up and in place. Some great advice. That's, that's certainly a good one to look forward to with more of the compliance lens here that you're so focused on with your work with the engaged PEOs. Thanks for that, Vanessa. Vanessa, I know at the top, I gave a bit of background of what you work on with Engage PEO, but for our audience, is there anything you're excited about, anything you'd like to share with our audience about Engage PEO and some best ways to get in touch if they want to learn more? Absolutely. So you can find us on LinkedIn. You can find me directly on LinkedIn. At Engage, we really pride ourselves on partnering with our clients so that they have a holistic HR solution and they're able to focus on growing their own businesses and, and getting things right early on. Fantastic. Is there a website we can share for Engage to learn more? Yes. www.engagepeo.com. All right. We'll provide a link to that on our site post on HR Daily Advisor that aligns with this episode. But thanks again for sharing that, Vanessa. Now, before we let you go, a couple more questions just about your career journey. And I love sharing advice to close out these episodes. So let's start off with something that you've recently learned about yourself that you feel has made you into a better leader. So I um, am one of the many women in the U.S. that has received a later in life diagnosis of neurodivergency. And it was really helpful to find out that I'm neurodivergent because it really helped me adjust the way I look at my own day and the strengths around my team. It has helped me really become a better mentor to several team members as well as just people within my personal life. And it has helped me seek out mentors to help me with the areas that I'm not as strong. And I really think that learning about that kind of differently abled aspect of my life has helped me become more authentic in the workplace and more transparent about who I am, which of course creates stronger relationships within the workplace and really helps people know that they can come to me with any concerns they have and can ask those questions that, are, that maybe they feel a little silly asking. And I don't think there's anything better with a leader than having a really strong relationship with their team and having an authentic and transparent self present at the workplace. Yeah, it's back to that idea of trust. Thank you for sharing that, Vanessa. That's great. I really appreciate you sharing that with us there. So glad to see that. And you've been able to find great resources and then be a resource to employees from that as a leader. That's great. Now, also looking at just, again, your career journey, we've all picked up advice along the way that we lean on or that has helped us succeed, do you have any piece of advice that you've leaned on throughout your career that you could pay forward and share with our audience of HR professionals? This is a really tough one. I, I had to think about this a lot. You know, there's so many wonderful 
pieces of advice that I've gotten over the years, whether it's make sure you find a mentor earlier on in your career so that you have someone to bounce ideas off of, or be curious, you know, and, and make sure that when you're looking at a problem or something that you're trying to solve for an organization, that you're looking at all these different aspects and that you're getting input from a lot of different stakeholders so that you can understand their stances and where they're coming from. I think showing up at work as your authentic self is really important today. I think people really resonate with that and helping everyone understand who you are and where you're coming from while also being really open to where they're coming from allows us to grow cross-generationally. And bringing so much of your true self to the workplace, I think, really helps your coworkers, especially if you're remote, learn who you are and, and realize that you're not just somebody on the back of a Teams chat or Slack chat. I love that. That is great advice. Thank you for that, Vanessa. And, and that's something that I think we're all learning how to do that in the workspace. And we're getting better with that over time. It's certainly making for just better relationships with your employees, with your employers, when you can bring your true self in, you can really understand where each other are coming from as part of that work-life blend that we always talk about. It's essential. But I love that. That's some great advice. Thanks for sharing that, Vanessa. So again, we're here with Vanessa Matsis McCready, Associate General Counsel and Vice President of HR Services from Engage PEO. Vanessa, before we let you go, we add a bonus question on the end of every episode, especially our first-time guests here. And it's all about motivation, something I'm a really big fan of talking about. So when you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, what's the one thing that gets you motivated to start your day? How can I help today? That's, okay. that's really whether it's whether I help my kids, whether I help the businesses and the clients that we're working with. But there's always something that I can do to try and make something better. The ethos of my high school was always leave your city greater than you found it. And I really do take on that. They go. That's a good one. I love it. And that's some good extra bonus advice we can give to our audience there to close out. But again, Vanessa Matsis McCready from Engage PEO, thank you so much for being on the HR Works podcast. This is a great conversation about workplace romance about the love contracts. We're going to come up with a better name for that one. Uh, <laughs> but again, a great way to, to really provide some great advice to our HR Works audience here. So thank you for joining. It's great having this conversation. I'm looking forward to having you back as with all of our guests, we want to keep this conversation going. So we'll find some more time in the future to connect again. But for our first great. one, this is great. So thanks so much. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.